Hello and welcome into this feature episode of the College Esports Quick Tech, also being published on the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. Remember, the Esports Network podcast is presented by Technology Game Changers. Check them out at tgcplay.com, linked right below this show. Also, Esports Network is looking for new sponsors. If you work for a company looking to expand its reach in esports, Esports Network has opportunities across digital media, podcasting, and video programs. Please reach out to Esports Network CEO Mark Timmick using the email in the bio of this show. As always, I'm Mitch Reams, and today we are talking to Asaf Nevo. He's the co-founder and CEO at Pico Get Personal, a data-driven fan marketing platform. Asaf, welcome to the show. Hey, Mitch. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's a nice Tuesday in Vegas. We're getting excited for the holiday break. Just about another week before I uh, knock off for a week. So I'm excited for that. Perfect. Sounds like a good plan. I'm looking forward to it. Pico recently signed a partnership with Level Next, a new college esports league born out of a partnership between EA and Learfield IMG College. Level Next's flagship first event is the Fall Champion Series in Madden 21. And while Madden isn't one of the biggest esports out there, this event will have a total prize of 150 grand in cash, not in scholarships. That makes it a bit unique compared to the majority of the rest of collegiate esports, where prizes are primarily in scholarships, not straight up cash. 50,000 of those dollars are going to be awarded to campus esports programs through a social marketing competition. And that's where Pico comes in. The company will be tracking the engagement of each post made by a competing school and sharing the results in real time in a digital leaderboard. This is a unique aspect of the event and why I particularly wanted Pico to come on the show. But before we get into that focus, Pico has done a ton of work in the traditional sports world. They've worked with the NBA, the NFL, Bundesliga, and a lot more. So as you're looking into esports and as Pico expands into esports, what other work has the company done in here? And why were you interested in this partnership with Level Next in particular? Uh, These are all great questions. I think uh, starting with exactly what Pico is doing could be very helpful to understand why esports is so interesting for us. So Pico, like you said, is a data-driven fan marketing platform. And the whole idea is that we are helping sports teams to change the way they're thinking about digital engagement. Because the current problem they're having is that while the entire world is, you know, competing and investing a lot on getting engagement, in sports, the engagement or the organic engagement pretty much come naturally. You know, sports fans are engaged. That, that's what they do. They follow the team. They love the team. And what happens is that because they're so engaged, teams have many different channels to support this engagement. And they're investing a lot on actually spending millions on making sure fans have weight where, where to engage. The problem is that while they're very good at engagement, and engagement is not the real problem, the real problem is that they don't really know who they're engaging with. And that's because each of these digital channels create pretty much a silo of data. The teams don't own the channels, they don't own the data that is being transitioned over there, and teams mostly have data about fans that are coming from tickets, merchandise, and newsletters, subscriptions. So unless you actually bought something with the team, if you're only a digital fan who maybe browse to the website or like the post over Facebook or Instagram, the team really don't really know who you are. And the gaps are huge. We're looking at a market that has sometimes 98% gap between how many fans they actually have in the databases compared to how many people actually following them on the digital space. So at Pico, like I said, we help them look differently at the way that they're engaging with fans and make sure that the high engagement they're seeing on the digital space actually drive to data 
that then could be used in order to make sure we can reach back to fans with the unique uh, offers and content based on their unique preferences. So the high-level idea of Pico is we help sports teams identify fans on the digital space, on any channel the team owns or any channel the team is engaging at. Then we progressively and continually con- takes and gather additional data about these fans. So we both increase the amount of fans they have in their databases, but we also, on a row basis, on every fan basis, we are helping them get more and more information. This information could be things like, what's your email address as a very basic uh, data point, and it goes deeper to who is your favorite player, how many times you've been to games, what's your preferred merchandise, and so on whatever the teams need in order to understand who the fans are better. Then we help them take this data and segment the fans based on unique target groups in order to make sure that your communication with the team is going to be very much personalized. So instead of everybody seeing the same messaging, now you are actually going to get um, the offers and content that is relevant for you. Okay, so this is like the high level uh, 20,000 feet of what we do at Pico. And as you said, Pico is working now with 57 different sports properties around the globe. Mostly are coming from Europe and the United States. And we have many teams with uh, the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, the Bundesliga, the Premier League. Uh, we now have customers in Asia, cricket, big cricket teams uh, in South Africa, and now starting to get from South America and Brazil as well. But it's all under the same problem. Sports teams does not know who their digital fans are. And in the big professional sports leagues, most of fans are in the digital space. So I hope, I hope this long explanation at least help, help understand and positioning where we are at from a company vision, company standpoint. And now diving into the Lever Next uh, um, partnership, the idea is that sports properties are sometimes, um, well, I would say every once in a while there's a new trend. Sometimes the trend is a new social channel like Instagram or TikTok, and sometimes it's a new platform like Twitch, or a new uh, trend like esports when everybody are at. And sports teams always have the incentive to engage with fans when fans are at the same channel that they are. And you see many teams investing now in esports, but the fact that they're investing in esports actually create another silo of data because now they're investing a lot in bringing esports player. And these esports players are making lots of engagement over Twitch and over other uh, esports platforms. But at the end of the day, the teams, they have no idea who's watching the shows. They have no idea who's engaging over there. They just know that there is an engagement mechanism. And we are going to help them at the same space to help and continue to gather information about their fans in these channels. So they would be able to create, you know, better experiences for them. So I'm sorry, it was maybe a bit longer than I expected, but I wanted to give you like the the high level overview because this is the basic of this uh, engagement with Level Next Esports. Hey, I could do an intro to a company, but I think the co-founder and CEO could do a better intro of what the company is all about. So I always appreciate uh, that context for for our audience. Uh, You mentioned quantifying uh, fans and how difficult this is for traditional sports fans. And I think it's an even more difficult proposition in esports. You know, as you mentioned, you have, okay, you have ticket sales. You have some venues that traditional sports fans flock to. Generally, teams compete in one sport you know if uh, if somebody's a fan of the Bundesliga, you could safely assume they like soccer uh or football depending on where you're at in the world i know we have quite a lot of european audience so i don't want to offend y'all <laughs> um and and in esports if somebody's saying a fan of team liquid you don't know if that means they're a fan of csgo if they're a fan of super smash bros if they're a fan of league of legends uh you don't necessarily know 
where they're based entirely. You know, teams are global in many ways and they have vastly different fan bases depending on what particular esport they like. Maybe they're a fan of Liquid in one sport, but then NRG in a different esport. Uh, and it gets really hard. And we've seen, you know, I, I use Liquid as an example because Liquid launched a uh, platform about three months ago, which is sort of like a branded social media hub. And really their their goal was to quantify their fans. Hey, get people to sign up, get people to tell you where they are, what games they're interested in, and just try and gain more data. So esports companies are looking for this data right now. And it's something that Pico does. And I feel like it's something that is uh, incredibly important in esports in particular due to the uh, lack of being geolocalized, so you don't know necessarily where they are in the world. You don't know what esport they're entirely a fan of, and things change pretty rapidly. So staying on top of where your fans are, what they enjoy, is a tough challenge for esports. Absolutely, and also beside the challenge, it's a must because I believe Team Liquid and other you know professional teams, lots of their monetization um, models based on sponsorships and things like that, right? But how would you know which sponsor could be relevant for your esport team if you don't know who your fans are? You're just shooting out blanks. And then sponsors would come and, and spend more money with your team, whether you have engagement or not. So if you're good at engagement and you're good at bringing traffic to your sponsor, they will be happy. And if not, they won't. But what if you would know which sponsors to target based on knowing your fan base? And that's the whole difference between you know working on engagement only or working based on the data. So if I know that my fan base, the people who watch uh, Team Liquid, let's take this, you know, continue in this example, and I know that when they're watching uh, um, live games, they like to eat pizza, right? And then during during the engagement we are creating with them, we're actually going to ask them which pizza you like the best. And then we segment them based on their pizza preferences. And the question could be, or the data point could be something like, what's your favorite junk food? Is it pizza? Is it, uh, you know, McDonald's? Uh, and if it's pizza, which which pizza brand? Is it Papa John's? Is it Domino's? Is it Pizza Hut? Um, and then once the team has all this data, they can now reach back to the sponsors, kind of like flipping the ball instead of waiting for the sponsors to come back to them. They could come in and say, hey, Domino's Pizza, we have, you know, 60% of anyone you watch us really like your pepperoni pizza. And this is why if we will provide some sort of call to action during the stream for fans to go out and buy pizzas, you will actually get real value from having my fans or my viewers watching my live stream. And that's a different type of sponsorship compared to, you know, potentially Domino's Pizza asking Team League to sponsor them just because they want to have their logo presented to, I don't know, 100,000 concurrent viewers or something like that. Right. And it makes the sponsorships they can ask for more valuable. You know, there's no brands are clamoring to get into esports all over the place, but especially for esports organizations, they need to be able to quantify their fan base so that they can show how much value is in here. You know, sponsorships are not a, uh, you know, you either have a sponsorship or you don't. They have multitudes of how valuable they can be. Uh, and being able to quantify your audience is a big way that that value goes up. It becomes measurable. That That's the main idea. It becomes measurable. You can actually know exactly how many fans bought uh, how many pizzas or how many viewers. So I'm saying fans because I'm very focused on sports, but I mean viewers. How many of them actually buying pizzas? Which type of pizzas? And, you know, same same as Amazon and Google and Facebook are doing with their engagement. They're using this in order to, to make sure that you are, at the end of the day, are converted to uh, the most preferred uh, uh, mechanism that you have. 
Yeah, this is the crux of how social media companies became profitable over the last five, six years. And so it is, uh, and that should tell you how incredibly valuable this data is, uh, that it makes companies like Twitter and like Facebook uh, crazy profitable just because of the data they can then give on uh, their viewers. And, you know, that's a whole different can of worms. We're not going to get totally into that right now. But uh, there's, uh, uh, I want to talk about the social marketing competition because this is yeah. also something that uh, I think people might not be as familiar with. In Level Next, we're talking about college esports here. We're talking about major schools. And for schools, what they're trying to do is generally recruit. That's why they're in, in esports. That's why they have traditional sports teams in general is uh, to hopefully maybe some to drive revenue, but generally to uh, be a big brand and to and to get some recruiting. So what does a social marketing competition look like? And what's the value for schools to take part in, in a competition like that? Yeah. So I just want to add one, one last note in what we said about Facebook and Twitter and, and the same model. I think the main difference between sports um, who use the same, or not the same, but similar ways to gather data about fans. Sports is not doing this in order to sell advertisement. They're doing this because they want to provide a better experience for the fans. Social networks are doing it more widely on a more on a more wider broad. So it's sometimes, you know, you could be happy or unhappy with it. But when you are a sport fan and you know your team, and you're spending so much on knowing who your, you know, favorite players are and, and spending time on engaging with them, you actually expect them to get to know you better. And, and it's a different, um, the incentive here, the, the emotional incentive here is a bit different. But I, I agree with you, let's not get too deep into that. The Level Next competition is uh, something very innovative uh, Learfield has came up with. And the idea around that was to launch the Maiden 21 um, competition between schools. And in order to promote it and making sure as many people as possible would actually see and follow the league, they created this um mentioning competition inside Twitter where every school could post about the league with specific hashtags and during um, during this we are counting how many um, how many students actually engage with these specific posts and every engagement with this post uh, provides the, the uh, provide the college with more points and the you can earn points by by tweeting by by retweet by reply by like but also by engaging directly through some of our mechanism which allows you to actually share data. So every time you provide a new data point for the school, you're getting additional points. The value here combines into, this creates a lot of buzz around the league because we have thousands of students participating and tens of thousands of students actually participating in this. So there's a lot of hype around this, you know, on social networks. Secondly, the teams are starting to, or the colleges and Learfield are starting to get data about which of these students are actually relevant for the league in terms of being viewers and being promoted again all from for for the purpose of not flooding them with information that they're not interested in because if i'm a student but i'm not interested in esports there's no way for them there's no need for them to flood me with you know esports offers but on the contrary if i'm am uh, an esports fan and i did follow and i did uh, participate in the competition there's a good chance that i will actually end up engaging with the league at some way or another or with the team at some way or another and and you want to know who these people are um, the incentive here is pretty big uh, schools with are participating in this because there is big cash prizes which could be goes again to to the best of my knowledge could be used whatever in whatever way the school wants um, 
And that creates a good incentive for every school to promote it inside their channels and ask their students to also take part in this uh, promotional uh, competition. Yeah, the cash aspect is uh, super unique. And I know that's more a question uh, designed for level next a little bit, but it yeah. also, uh, you know, most of the times it's scholarships. But in this, it gives universities some of the money they need to start. Uh, building esports facilities, maybe hiring staff or student staff that uh, can help with an esports program. And that's one of the other big benefits of this social marketing competition. We talk about the value of data for brands and for sports teams. Well, there's also a ton of value for colleges to understand this. And especially in the collegiate esports world, uh, we need schools to get on board with esports, you know, it's happening, but it's not the biggest institutions across America that have varsity esports programs. Just three of the uh, 60 power five schools, your biggest schools in the country have varsity esports programs. It's Mizzou, Utah, and oh, one other, I, uh, Oklahoma State. I can't remember the, the last one. Don't quote me on that one. Uh, but Mizzou and Utah, definitely. And it's, uh, it's a growing area. And this kind of data that shows fan engagement and student engagement with esports can go a long way in pushing schools to begin investing more. You know, everything's happening on some spreadsheet in the uh, university accountants, and they're just like, wait, where are we divesting resources? And if you have this measurable data, like we talk about here, that helps push money into college esports programs, which is something that I think everyone in esports in general, and specifically in college esports, wants to see happen. Absolutely. I think there's there's another aspect important for accelerating these old processes now, and this is the pandemic, the COVID-19. Uh, you know, the athlete department is being taken a huge hit. They can't play as they used to in the past, and, and you know, the school's revenue probably got hit from that. And also, from the student standpoint, they're used to having weekend games of their, you know, school teams, and now they don't. So I think another incentive for um, this whole initiative is to get schools and students, you know, gather around another uh, um, topic or, or um, sportive topic in order to, to get closer. So I think it's a win-win-win situation for everybody. Uh, schools could get prizes. They now have something that everybody could be proud at. Uh, students have um, kind of like a sports team to follow and, and engage with. There's cash prizes inside. I think everybody wins. Absolutely. It's crazy the amount of revenue, especially for the major college football programs, uh, the amount that they miss. You know, it depends on where you are in the country, whether or not fans were allowed. But for me, I'm an Oregon Duck fan. We just backdoored our way to the Pac-12 championship game because the Washington Huskies had a COVID outbreak, which just tells you a lot about just how uh, weird this season has been. But the Ducks played five games this year. Normally they play 12. Yeah. And... Uh, they didn't have fans for any of those. So you take 60,000 fans from every single Oregon Duck football game, the amount the tickets go for, the concessions, uh, all of that, the sponsorship revenue, the TV deals that were that were slashed through all this. And it's crazy the amount of revenue that was lost in the traditional sports world. And so it's, uh, it's definitely a, a moment that athletic departments and schools in general need to look at and be like, okay, esports was able to continue. We need to maybe re-examine how we're doing some things. Absolutely. That, that's, uh, in my opinion, that's exactly the case. And that's, I believe that there is 
the the I believe that the conversations about running an esport league is something that is going for a while now. And my gut feeling, and again, I'm I'm speaking from an opinion standpoint. I have no real data about it, but my gut feeling is that the the pandemic actually accelerated everything and made everything come come earlier than than expected. So you know, pandemic is bad, but there's still good things happening around that. It what yeah, it's you know we've been talking about this for the last eight nine months on, on the show, and of course you you always have to qualify. The pandemic has been a net negative. You know, people are more important than what's happening in in esports. Uh, but when it comes to really what the the general takeaway is, is that the especially during spring, the absence of all these other businesses, the absence of sports, opened up time for different industries to uh, examine esports with a much closer lens than they had in the past. We saw this. So I'm based in Las Vegas. The gambling world uh, laughed me out of. I had a couple calls with like a couple of people in uh, high in big casinos and big sports books in February before the pandemic took hold. And I was like, so what about esports? Like, we don't care. It's not relevant. Uh, And then I I talked to some of those same people in May, two months into the pandemic. They're like, the handle on esports is basically allowing us to stay open. It is where we are getting all our bets on. And it just basically forced some places that didn't have any reason to examine esports and the potential possibilities there. Same thing happened in a lot of brand offices as well. A lot of people who wanted to sponsor esports, but hey, we're we're tied up to a long-term partnership with the NBA or something like that. And that's just our sole focus. Okay, well, the NBA is gone. Okay, well, let's look at this esports thing. So that's really kind of what happened. Everybody was already looking at esports or thinking about esports, but just wasn't a first priority. And especially in spring it became that priority a little bit more and it's going to create a lasting impact as a lot of places thought about esports, created esports strategies. And then even when the pandemic's lifted, those esports strategies aren't just going to go away. Yeah. You know, the, the story, what you just mentioned about esports is pretty similar to what happened to us with all the, you know, identifying your digital fan base story for almost three years. Now we are talking with teams, um, even maybe three and a half years, talking with teams about the importance of getting to know your digital fans and how important it is to build this database of fans who engage with you digitally. And, you know, many teams has bought in before, uh, but a lot of these teams who, you know, had a lot of a lot of things in their plate, they weren't able to capitalize on the opportunity and were still focused on, you know, getting ticket sales, merchandise sales, and, and live on, on a game day basis. Suddenly the COVID-19 came in and showed them, you can't build your whole strategy around whether you're selling tickets or not because there's no tickets currently. Nobody's coming to the stadium. The stadiums are empty. Now you have to be completely dependent on what's happening on the digital space. And suddenly we saw a huge peak on how many teams actually are running after us and asking to getting to know the digital fans better. And the, the most common pitch you're hearing now from teams, from leagues, from every executive in the industry speaking Everybody is saying that the number one priority for them now is to start and understand this black hole of, you know, digital engagement and who these people are. So they can start build strategy and products for the long term to support these uh, uh, these users, these fans, in order to have more sustainability in their business models, which currently both the business model and the data is only dependent on game days. And especially in professional sports, there are so many opportunities that are not necessarily connected to game days or to whether you won or lost, uh, that the fact that teams are not thinking digitally and just using digital channels as an engagement tool, uh, it's missing a lot of opportunities. 
Definitely. And this is how, you know, a lot of sports leagues are talking about, hey, we have to capture the younger demo. How are we going to do that? Well, maybe we'll partner with gaming. But a lot of it is just being more active in digital spaces in general. Uh, And that's, uh, it's not a entirely confusing uh, segment. It's like, how do we capture the younger generation? They're not watching TV. It's like, well, embrace digital. (laughs) That that comes through gaming. That's part of it. But there's also other uh, social media initiatives you can do and all these other uh, aspects that you can to connect with the younger demo. It's not this complex mystery that I think some uh, sometimes they make it seem like. Yeah, but you still, I, I definitely agree. I also think that they're deciding to go to this or that channel, whether it's Twitch or they decided to open a TikTok channel because they want to communicate with the younger generation. They still always have to have in mind, why are we doing this? Who are these people? Besides knowing that there are maybe I don't know, uh, 12 to 20 or 15 to 20 in their age, what else are their unique preferences? How else could we leverage the fact that we have a very active channel with a very unique unique demographic uh, preferences? How could we know deeper who they are and make sure that their experience is more personalized? And that's what actually makes the difference. Like we were seeing this dramatically. Every team that has been adopted this state of mind has seen great results in terms of the cost effectiveness of these channels and the ability to actually leverage the fact that you have very active channels in order to um, bring value, in order to go back to your CEO and say, hey, look, it's not only likes on Facebook and it's not only uh, you know, uh, retweets on Twitter or hearts on Instagram or website traffic. These are actual users. We know who they are and we can now build a strategy around them, which is a bit different than the strategy we had in the past. So yeah, it's all. I think it's all on the same context, all on the same uh, basic mechanism. Absolutely, I love that. Let's wrap this show up going a little bit broad. So Pico's most of your work is in traditional sports, as we've talked about here. I came from the traditional sports world as well, at least studying it in school, and I'm still a huge uh, traditional sports fan as well as esports. So I love to really examine where the two are overlapping. Just here in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Raiders, a new team uh, to the city opened up with a twitch lounge where they had this twitch partnership and it's something they want to embrace and if you look at uh you know all across sports we are seeing sports teams invest in esports or in gaming partnerships whether that's uh having madden player like the madden club championship or the nba 2k league or if that's athletes being investors in esports organizations at what point you could actually trace all 10 uh, League of Legends Championship Series LCS teams to somebody in the NBA. One of their owners or investor uh, was either a player or an owner in the NBA. And I always found that was one of my f- favorite little stats uh, about the esports industry. And the two worlds are just getting very close. How have you seen that play out in your experience? I, you mentioned before we started taping the Bundesliga partnership or uh, Bruce Dortmund partnership with Twitch. Uh, what other ways are you seeing traditional sports and esports get closer, especially over this wild year that we've had? Yeah, so so I think one of the interesting things that we're seeing now with that Twitch is taking, you know, especially in Europe. I'm not sure how strong it is in the state, but they're taking teams who has active Twitch accounts and active esports channels. And they're starting to convince them and, and transition them into using Twitch as a live TV streaming platform. So not only about gamification and, and streaming of games, but also for fans to come in and watch unique content, whether it's uh, practices, um, you know, games that are not on TV, uh, uh, second leagues and things like that. So I think 
very closely everything is going to be attached together. And I think um, even the the leading um, esports teams, probably inside their management and inside their advisory board and management board, they're always sports professional because sports is all, not only about you know if you're playing uh, football or soccer, it's not only about how many goals you are you're scoring. And you probably know that better than me because you studied it. Sports is a is a whole world. It's an ecosystem, and and I think esports is an important part of this ecosystem. And I think that esports grew um, separately from sport, at least at the beginning, and now it's kind of like getting the recognition. Not even now, in in the in the past couple of years, it's getting the recognition that this is another field that need to have the same uh, ecosystem support sports have from an organizational standpoint. You have the players. You have the competitive part. You have the operational part. Those two goes together. And I think sports teams and sport owners and sports professionals are very good at running these type of businesses. And that's, I think, why you're seeing this very natural uh, transition of many players and investors and such investing into esports now. So I definitely see this getting more and more closer and more and more teams either building their own esports teams or embracing um and already existing teams. Um, that's for me the future of all this. Absolutely agree. It just seems like it has to happen at this point. They're too similar, and the sports world is sees a, sees rapidly growing sports that connect well with the younger demo and are just clamoring to get a piece of it. I think almost. I th- I'd be really interested to see how many sports owners have esports investments because I think we're getting close to like at least 50% have some level of esports investment. Definitely in the NBA, I know we're over that 50% number. Almost every owner has is thinking about esports, has thoughts about esports, has investments in esports, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to wrap up the show here. It was a great talking to you, Asaf. I, I want to give you one final chance to uh, turn the mic back over to you to plug Pico, get personal, uh, let people know what you want them looking out for from the company uh, in the days to come. Yeah, so our again, our vision is to really create a personalized experience for fans. This is where we are coming from. We're coming from the fan side. We're all fan enthusiastics. We love teams. We love sports. And we want, as fans, we want the teams to get to know us better. That's our main, you know, incentive when we build Pico. Although it looks like we're selling it for teams, at the end of the day, our goal is to have a better experience for fans. We are seeing that there is a big trend of transition happening. Very excited with everything that's happening. We had, you know, closing 2020 now, we had huge growth um, during this year. And we see more and more teams adopting the approach of getting to know their fans better. So now it's getting really interesting for us also to deepen our, um, you know, data we have about fans, deepen, deepening the experiences fans are having. And for us, this is the, the future. That's where we're seeing this. Absolutely. Going to be interested to see where it goes from here. And I'm looking forward to the Level Next partnership and seeing what Level Next does in uh, an interesting collegiate esports world. One of the new leagues has popped out of there and one that's seen quite a bit of investment. So, you know, it's uh, 
it's a crazy ecosystem. I think people love to throw Wild West out there when they talk <laughs> about collegiate esports. Uh, but Level Next has thrown its hat in the ring, and the social marketing competition is a very unique aspect uh, driven by Pico. So that's all for this episode of the College Esports Quick Take, this feature episode. And this is all for this Esports Network podcast. So if you're listening to this on the Esports Network podcast feed, this show was published uh, over a week ago on the College Esports Quick Take. So if you have an interest in the college esports world, we're doing these shows. We're doing daily hits about everything that's happening in college esports. So be sure to subscribe to the College Esports Quick Take wherever you like to listen to the Esports Network podcast and the Esports Minute. And remember, the Esports Network podcast is presented by Technology Game Changers. Check them out at tgcplay.com, linked right below this show. Thanks for listening, everyone. I will be back uh, on Monday for the College Esports folks, and I think on, on Monday as well for the Esports Network podcast folks with another uh, long form interview. So be on the lookout after the weekend uh, for some new episodes.